0: And thank you all for being here and spending part of your Father's Day morning with us. We greatly appreciate uh, your presence with us today. Uh, Several years ago, there was a, uh, a mother, and she was trying to figure out what to get her husband for Father's Day. The kids were young, and let's be honest, they were no help at all. And so she was on her own to try to figure out what to get her husband for Father's Day. And he was a tough guy to shop for, but he liked golf. And so she went to the golf pro shop. She's looking around. She didn't know what to get. And the salesman there said, well, here, I think I have something for you. He brings out this pair of socks. The woman picks up the socks, and they feel awfully flimsy. The salesman says, no, you need to get these socks for your husband. I guarantee you they will improve his golf game. All right, fine. She buys the socks, wraps them up. Father's Day rolls around. The dad opens the socks in front of the kids. They're trying to take credit for it, but they were no help at all. I mean, really? So he feels these socks. And says, these, are, these are awfully flimsy socks. She says, well, the salesman at the golf pro shop, he said, you need to wear these socks because they will improve your golf game. And he goes, all right, fine, I'll give them a try. Well, he was planning to go golfing later that day, so he puts on the socks, goes off, plays some golf, and the whole time that he's gone, the wife is thinking, I hope these work out. I hope these socks work out. They weren't exactly cheap. I hope these socks work out. The dad comes home after playing golf. Wife says, well, you wore the socks, huh? He says, yes. Wife says, well, how did it go? He says, well, I got a hole in one. That's a slow burn. Some of you get that now. Some of you will get that joke on the way home, yes? And that, my friends, is an example of a dad joke. That's a dad joke that my grandfather actually told in one of his sermons. My grandfather was a pastor, and he told that joke. And uh, looking back, I've been thinking a lot about my grandpa recently and the relationship I had with him. And uh, I was very blessed, and I say this not to brag, but just to share how God has blessed me. I was very blessed to have a great relationship with my grandfather, and he shared so much wisdom with me. I mean, not just godly wisdom, but also specific wisdom about what it means to be a pastor, what it means to lead a congregation. In fact, my grandfather was one of my top two mentors that I've ever had in my life. The other one was, of course, my dad. And so, again, I know not everybody has a great relationship with their father, not everybody has a present father, but I was very blessed by God to have a great relationship with both my father and my maternal grandfather, my top two mentors in life. Now, I've only preached a Father's Day sermon once since my father died. He died in 2014. Um, And the reason that I normally don't preach on Father's Day is because it's difficult. It's very difficult. And Brett, I so appreciated your prayer up here, and I appreciated the genuine emotion with which you prayed through that prayer. And for those of us who have lost our fathers, we know that this is a a difficult day, a wonderful day to remember and to celebrate, but also a difficult day. And so that one occasion that I have preached since my father passed, what I did during that sermon, this was many years ago, is I just shared with the congregation, I shared with you all some lessons that I learned from my dad. Now that was several years ago, And you all forget what I preached back then. And so I'm going to preach that same sermon again. I'm going to share with you some lessons that I learned from my dad, but I'm going to add to that some lessons that I learned from my grandfather. And so I hope all of you dads that are here will learn something from these lessons. And I think and I I truly believe that those of you who aren't dads will also have some takeaways from today's message. For those of you who are note takers, here's lesson number one. Lesson that I learned from my father be quick to apologize. Be quick to apologize. Sometimes us men, we can be filled with pride, and and even if we've done something wrong, we don't want to admit it. Well, that was not my dad. He was quick to apologize. If he messed up, he would apologize. If he messed up with me, or my brother, or my mother, he was quick to apologize. Own your share of what you did wrong, and apologize. There's one time when I was 10 or 11 years old, and I was having some kind of a fit, and I stomped off into my bedroom, and I, I punched an inanimate object. Men, did you ever do that? You ever hit something? Like, why do we do that? It's so stupid. So I hit this thing. I had this little shelving unit with my toys on it, and I hit it. And the shelf broke, and it made a loud noise. And I thought, oh no, Dad's gonna hear that, and he did. And he heard that, and he came into my room, and he looked at the mess that I made, and he walked over to that shelving unit, my dad was a big guy, right? He's like two of me, right? My dad was a big guy, and he looked at that mess, and he came down with a hammer for his boom, and he smashed that thing to pieces. And he looked at me and said, is that what you were trying to do? And I knew his question was rhetorical, so I just kind of cowered in the corner, and I let him leave, right? It's terrifying. About 60 seconds later, I hear a very gentle knock on the door. Can I come in? It was my dad. He said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I guess we both acted like idiots, didn't we? I said, yeah, I guess we did, I guess we did. That was just one of the many occasions where he apologized to me and he would apologize to my brother and he would apologize to my mother and that was very important for me to witness that as a child growing up, to watch my dad apologize to my mother. Now Holly and I, we've been married for 16 years after this past week, how about that? Hold your applause, 16 years, yes? And over those 16 years, uh, we've had, I guess, a few disagreements over time but here I go bragging again. I mean, we have a great relationship. I don't know that we've had 16 fights in those 16 years. Maybe, maybe we have, and I just forget. Ask Holly. She'll tell you. <clears throat> but when I mess up, I try to remember my dad's example. I go, and I apologize. Men, we have to do that. Dads, we have to do that. That thing where it's like, well, I was the one who was wrong, and she should apologize to me, and meh, 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 meh. What is that? That kind of self-centered, like, babyish, immature thing that can get inside of our hearts? No. That's your wife. Go apologize. Go make things right. So that's one of the lessons I learned from my dad is be quick. Be quick to apologize. Here's another one: Be candid with your struggles, fathers. Be candid with your struggles. What are you going through? Again, sometimes we men, we keep things to ourselves, we keep things bottled up, we keep things private. It's like, no, Share your struggles. Share with your spouse and share with your kids. There's another occasion I was about 13 years old. I think I was 13 years old. I was giving my mom a hard time because that's what 13-year-olds do, I guess. And so there was a week, and there was a lot of conflict in the house, and I was pushing back, and I was talking back, and all that stuff that 13-year-olds do. And then one Saturday morning, I found myself. I was awake, and my dad was awake, and we were both there at the same time, but it was just the two of us, and he was sitting on the couch, and he calls me over, and he has this conversation sitting next to me, not across from me, but next to me. And I thought, well, here we go, I'm going to get yelled at, you know, because I know I've been misbehaving, I know I've been bad, I know I've been talking back, I know I've been pushing back, I'm going to get yelled at. But he didn't yell at me, he just told me what he was going through. He said, you know, Josh, it's been tough at work lately, I've been working these 12-hour days, and my dad, he worked, he worked hard. I mean, my dad was a man's man, and you're not going to tell me otherwise, right? <laughs> I think maybe 10 hours was his shortest work day, and it was manual labor. He'd work 12-hour days, and he'd worked overnights. And then when he'd come home, he'd go down to the basement and work out for another hour and then get a shower and go to bed, do the whole thing all over again. This was a man's man. So he sat down with me. He was just telling me what he was going through. You know, I'm working all these hours, and I'm putting in this, this, this time, and you know, it's been tough at work, and my boss has come. He just started telling me all the stuff that he's going through. He said, Josh, I wish I could be here more. But your mother's here, and she's taking care of you, and I just need your help. And he started to cry, and there was no pushback from me. I mean, how would you respond if your dad did that? I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll stop giving Mom a hard time. I'm sorry. Dads, share your struggles with your kids. You know why? Because one day your kids are going to have those same struggles, and they'll have watched you go through those struggles. Share your struggles with your spouse. Share your struggles with your kids. Something else I learned from my father is to sacrifice cheerfully. Being a parent, a mom or a dad, is a sacrifice. It's a wonderful sacrifice. It is a burden. It's a wonderful burden. But you have to make that sacrifice. And since you have to make that sacrifice, you might as well do it cheerfully. Sacrifice cheerfully for the sake of your family. Christmas mornings in the Schaeffer household were, were modest, and there'd be a, a few things under the tree for my mom, and a few things for my brother, a few things for myself, and, and one lone gift for dad under the tree. It was the same thing every year. My dad would get, wrapped under the tree, a box of chocolate turtles. You know what I'm talking about? Not like actual turtles, but like, I don't know what, is this a turtle? I don't know if that's, what's a turtle? I don't know how to act at a turtle. If this was charades, I don't know how to act at a turtle. Anyway. Chocolate turtles, you know, it's like a peanut cluster with caramel and covered in... Ch- all right, anyway. That's what he would get every year for Christmas. And he, so he'd unwrap that box of turtles, and my mom would eye up that box, and my brother would eye up that box, and I would eye up that box, and he just shared them with all of us. And I don't know if he ever had one of his chocolate turtles. And he shared them with a smile on his face. Because being a parent is a sacrifice. It's giving something of yourself away. So you might as well make that sacrifice cheerfully. I was just reminded of something. I was driving past Amos Land Elementary School, which is where I went. I was driving by just to see if they finished that statue of me. It's not up yet, so I don't know what the holdup is. Anyway, I was driving by, and uh, there's that big field there. You know Amos Land School, right? Okay. There's that big field there. And I had this memory of this occasion where um, Dad took us to go fly a kite on that field. And so here's the story. We had just spent a week away on vacation in the Poconos. We had all sorts of fun. I mean, my brother and I, we had all sorts of fun on this vacation. We were younger. And parents, you know what it's like to go on vacation with young children? It's not fun. <laughs> You're basically just keeping them entertained and keeping them wrangled at a new location for an entire week, right? And so we spent that week away and we did lots of fun things while we were away. And, and we used to fly kites while we were on vacation. There was this field where we would fly kites. And so it's a Saturday morning, where vacation's over, and we're all very sad. You know that feeling, oh, vacation's over, and we're all very sad, and I get in the car, and my dad's driving us back home, you know, that two-hour trip back home, and I say, Dad, when we get home, can we go fly kites again? Can we fly them up at my school? Now, as a father, I now realize what an obnoxious request that is, right? Like, when I take my kids on vacation, I'm like, I just gave you a whole week of my time and my attention and my energy, Right? I said, Dad, you know, after you're done driving us back home, after you've taken us on this week-long vacation, can you take us to go fly a kite? And he did. Didn't complain about it. Wasn't doing it begrudgingly. He said, okay, we'll keep the, let's keep this party rolling. So after making that drive back home, he took us to go fly kites at my school. Being a parent is a sacrifice. Dad, you might as well make that sacrifice cheerfully. My father taught me about the usefulness of humor, yes, the usefulness of comedy. My dad's name was Rich, and uh, one of his favorite jokes is when someone would approach him and say, hey, are you rich? He would say, yes, and incredibly good-looking, <laughs> right? That was his deal. My father had a way of humor, and my father had a way of making tense scenes less tense. Yes, there's a usefulness to humor and levity, and it's not just about being a goofball. And I know you kids, you get sick of our dad jokes, but you're going to miss all those dad jokes when we're not there. There's a usefulness to levity. In the weeks and months after my father passed, when we get together as a family, I mean, we just felt his absence so big. And sometimes with things we get tense, we were just missing that levity that he would bring to situations by telling a little joke or doing a little dance. You know what I mean? He was a dancer. My father was a dancer. Most people don't know that about him. Do a little dance or tell a little joke and just lighten the mood a little bit. My grandfather was the same way, always with a joke. My grandfather, he uh, officiated our wedding ceremony 16 years ago. And uh, of course, I knew my grandfather very well and Holly was just getting to know him. And so we had a relatively small wedding. We were married at Holly's aunt's property on the beautiful place, right by the water. And so uh, there's a little bit of tension at a rehearsal. Do you remember that? Those of you who remember, remember your rehearsal? It's like, okay, where do I stand? And I don't want to mess up. And who am I supposed to stand with? And how does this work? And so my grandfather was in the zone. He was directing us here, you go here, here, you go here. And we're all a little bit tense. And then my grandfather, it's his time to do his speech, his talk, his sermon, and he just starts ad-libbing this ridiculous story, right? Because once upon a time, there were some people traveling by a boat, and they saw this pot of land. They thought, why don't we set up this little property on this land? He's telling this increasingly silly story. And I'm not sure what Holly thought in that moment. Maybe she thought Pop-Up was starting to lose it. You know what I mean? But we realized what he was doing. He was just lightening the mood. Silly little story. Silly little ad-lib. And everybody's shoulders kind of relaxed, right? There's a usefulness to levity. You know, dads, don't be ashamed of your dad jokes, yes? They serve a purpose, break the tension, lighten things up. Dads, life is hard. Life is serious. If you can inject a smile on someone's face, do it. Do it. It's useful. Bringing humor is useful. My grandfather also taught me, he's one of the many people who taught me about the power of prayer. And he taught me that God is a God that heals. You know, just last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, and there was this time during the first church where the Holy Spirit was active in healing people. My grandfather taught me, you know, God still heals. Pray. Pray to God. If you need anything, pray. If you have a cold, pray. If it's something more serious, pray. God still heals. Growing up, anytime I was sick, I'd be like, can you call Grandpa? Can you call him because he has to pray for me because I'm sick? Pray. The power of prayer and that God, God still heals. My grandparents, uh, they were Foster parents. And so, you know, i go to visit my grandparents, and, and here I am as a, as a teenager, and they'd have a little baby that they were caring for. And so, after they retired, they were foster parents. They cared for all these little ones. I think they had like, um, I don't know, about 400, give or take, foster kids come through their, their care. And so, uh, there was one occasion where um, my grandfather got a call. They said, We've got a little girl. Uh, she was just born. She needs someone to care for her, um, but she has HIV. And so they had to disclose that to my grandparents uh, because there were some concerns. You have to be careful with, with contact and bodily fluids and all this. And so they said, would you be willing to take her? And my grandfather and grandmother, of course, said, yes, we'll take her. And so they took this little girl, and she had HIV, and she was really struggling. She wasn't well. She had some other health issues. And they took this little girl to church on Sunday morning. And it was probably inappropriate at the time, but my grandfather just stood up with this child and said, church, you need to pray. this child. And that church did pray for that child. And that child was healed. Because God still heals. And God took that sickness away. And God took that virus away. God took that HIV away. And that child survived. Not only survived, but thrived. And they fell in love with that little girl, by the way. And they ended up adopting her. And that's why I have an aunt who's in her early 20s, yes? But God still heals. Pray. Pray. Ask God for healing. My grandfather also taught me about priorities and boundaries. My grandfather taught me that it's Jesus, then family, then church. And a lot of us pastors, we get that wrong. We kind of combine Jesus and church into one and then put family somewhere as a distant second. He said, no, it's Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, and then your family, and then your church. There was an occasion where my grandfather uh, he was packing up the car. This is when my mom was a teenager. And so they were about to go on this family vacation. And uh, my grandfather, he got a phone call. He was on this registry. Um, other pastors would call my grandfather if they needed some counseling, if they needed some support. And so he gets this frantic call from a member of the clergy saying, I'm really depressed and I'm really struggling right now. And so, of course, when the phone rings, there's no caller ID back in those days. He had no idea he was calling. He picks up the phone and he just hears this man pour his heart out. And he says to them, I'm sorry, but I have to go. There are other numbers that you can call on that list. I ask that you please call one of those other numbers, reach out to another pastor. And he said a little prayer for him. And then he hung up the phone and he got in the car with his family and went on vacation. Because his family was a priority. I've learned that lesson from him. I also heard, some of you know uh, Charles Stanley. He preached on the same thing. It's Jesus, then family, then church. So he, he shared that lesson with me, and so members of this church, I just want you to know that my family will always win. My family beats you every single time, okay? And that's just how it is. You know, there's this phenomenon where pastor kids grow up, and they grow up weird, and they grow up resentful. It's like, I'm not letting that happen to my kids. They are my priority. You are my family. You are my priority. So I learned that lesson from my grandfather. The importance of boundaries and the importance of saying no, even if it's an unpopular response to say, no, I can't do that. I have to set these boundaries. Now, my dad, he died before my grandfather because the people in my family have this horrible habit of dying out of order. But after my dad died in 2014, I know that my grandfather was much more intentional in checking in with me. And so just about every week, my grandfather would check in with me, and he had this routine. He would go to worship with my grandmother, and then they would come home, and then either later that day or the next day, he would listen or watch my sermons, and then he'd write me a little email with his thoughts on what I preached about. And it was always affirming, it's never critical or complaining, because he knew I was getting enough of that from other sources. (laughs) And so his messages were always affirming, and here's what I appreciate, and well done kind of a thing. And I had those emails. I still have all those emails from grandpa. Um, my grandfather got sick. And so this would have been late 2017, early 2018. He just had the flu. But when a person is deep into their 80s and when they have the flu, you know how that story can, can end, how that story can end. And so he ended up in the hospital and he had some complications. And so um, I called him. I got him on the phone in his hospital room. And so we talked for a while. And uh, I just went over all the stuff that he taught me about prayer and about healing, and we're going to pray for healing. And my grandfather, I forget the exact words that he used, but he just expressed that he wasn't sure how God was going to resolve this issue. He wasn't sure. And I think he was trying to prepare me for his passing. So I had that chance to talk with Grandpa, and then I'm praying for my Grandpa over the phone. And that was weird because, like, I don't think this has ever happened before. This roles have just shifted now. Now I'm praying for you. You're normally the one that prays for me. So I prayed for him over the phone, and his health continued to decline uh, over the weeks. And uh, my mother, who was with us at the time, this was her father, and so I said to her, we should probably get down there. Now, I didn't feel like I needed to see Grandpa in person again, but I felt like I should get my mom down to Myrtle Beach. They live down in Myrtle Beach. I got to get her down there to see her dad. And so we took a a road trip. Did you ever take a road trip with your mom? Ten hours in a car? It was a lot of fun. Took a road trip down to Myrtle Beach, and uh, we rolled in, and it was pretty late at night, and we went straight to the hospital, and we saw my grandfather, and uh, he was having a difficult time talking. His mouth was very dry, so it was difficult for him to really enunciate clearly. It was tough for him to keep his eyes open. So he wasn't in great shape, uh, but we talked with him. uh, We prayed with him. On my way out, I said to him, I said, Grandpa, um, if you could please shave and maybe get a haircut before I come back next time, because you're looking a little shaggy. Just a little smile across his face. You know, again, the usefulness of humor, right? A little smile out of him. And so we left and went to my grandmother's house. We stayed there that night. The next day, we went back to the hospital with my grandmother and with my uncle. And that was an action-packed day, friends. We went back to the hospital, and my grandfather had this packet that we brought to the hospital. He had spelled out all of his wishes, Dads, that is a great gift that you can give to your families. Spell out your wishes. This guy had it all notarized. These papers were drawn up by a lawyer. Had it all worked out what he did want and what he didn't want. So my grandfather was at a place where, in order to keep him alive, they were going to have to put him on a feeding tube. And we said, nope, he does not not want that. And so a shift was made and he was moved into palliative care. The, the goal was no longer to, to get him back on his feet, but the goal was just to make him comfortable. So they moved him into a different room and we began that palliative care treatment in that room. And we met with some doctors and some nurses and some administrators from the hospital and we talked through our options and, and we decided that it was time to move into hospice care. Now, all the while, I'm hoping that he turns around. Because I know God can do all things, and I know God can do miracles, and so I'm just going to keep praying for his healing. Why not? I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to let God answer the prayer the way it needs to be answered, right? Why not? So I'm praying, and we make that decision. It's time to move him into hospice care. And so again, my grandfather's having a tough time speaking, but once that decision was made, he's able to say yes, yes, he's on board with this. And he's trying to say the word pastor, but we couldn't understand him at first. And we finally figured out, oh, you want us to call your pastor? He looked at me and said, Bingo, all right? So we got his pastor, Pastor Kurt, on the phone, and Pastor Kurt came down, and Pastor Kurt walks into the room, and something just, a switch flips with my grandfather, and he comes back online, and he starts talking to the pastor. He said, Pastor, thank you for coming. We're like, what is happening? He's talking again. You know, we've just made this decision that it's time to move me into hospice, and my grandmother, I'm going to be honest, she was a little offended by this, right? Because he's not talking to her. Well, this pastor walks in the room, and now you're talking to him all of a sudden? She was a little offended. So he's just sharing the story of what a kind of a day that he's had and what's next for him, he's telling the pastor all these things, and so the pastor shares some words of support, some words of comfort. And the pastor has us all gather around my grandfather's bed. it's my mom, it's my uncle, it's my grandmother and the pastor, and we all gather around the bread, all gather around my grandfather's bed, and the pastor says, "Let's pray together." And my grandfather starts praying. "Dear God, please bless my family, take care of them during this time.", like, "What is happening?" And he's still there, to the very end, still fighting, praying for his family. He's supposed to be receiving at this point, but he's still praying for us. So the pastor leaves, and we say goodnight to grandpa, and we go back to grandma's house. And in the wee hours of the morning, we get a phone call from the hospital, you better come on back now. Because it looked like we were going to skip this whole hospice thing. It looks like grandpa is ready to go home, ready to go to heaven. So we get there to the hospital, and all the family that was in the area, we gathered in that room. And all the family that wasn't in the area, we got them on the phone, and they all said their goodbyes. They all said their I love yous. And we were in that room, and we watched as my grandfather passed. At least we were pretty sure that he passed. <laughs> There's a little bit of awkwardness in moments like this. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in this situation, but it was just us family members. There was no doctors. There was no nurses in there. And we're like, I think he's passed, yes what do we do in this situation? Do we call a doctor in? Well, fortunately, a nurse came in. I was like, I think, I think he's passed. And yes, she confirmed he has passed. So the nurse says to us, would you like the chaplain to come speak with you? I was like, I don't know. Do we really need a chaplain? I mean, I'm here. I'm a pastor. You know what I mean? Like, aren't I good enough? And we all know that Grandpa had a relationship with Jesus. We all know that he's in heaven. What can a, what can a chaplain possibly do for our family, right? We got it covered. But well, Mom said, no, let's get a chaplain. Let's get a chaplain. And so we're waiting for the chaplain. We're waiting a long time for the chaplain. We found that he was at a different location. Now I f- now I just feel bad. I'm like, why are we calling this guy, making him drive from one hospital to another? I feel bad about the whole thing. So the chaplain comes in, and he had his work cut out for him, because <clears throat> I'm going to critique anything he has to say, right? What's he going to say here? And so the chaplain comes in, and he shares a story with our family, and it's a story that's so stinking simple, but in that moment, it was so poignant. And the reason I've told you all these details is just to share this chaplain's story with you all. Again, this is a very simple story, but it just landed in just the right way when we heard these words. This is the story the chaplain told. Once upon a time, there was a young man, a young soldier, and he was issued his sword. He was issued his weapon. And so this soldier begins to make his way through life, and he fights his first battle, And he fights his second battle. And this soldier realizes that most of his life is made up of one battle after the next, after the next. Yeah, there are seasons of peace, but there's a whole lot of battles. And so this soldier, he fights that first battle. He fights that next battle. and He continues fighting and fighting and fighting his way through all the battles of life. And then one day, that young soldier catches a look of himself in the mirror. And he realizes that he's not a young soldier anymore. And he starts to feel the weight of that sword. And he realizes that now he's too old to carry it. And so that soldier, he lays down his sword. He lays down his weapon for the next generation to pick up and begin their fight. And we hear this story, and we're like, "Ooh, wow, just landed so hard. Dads, fathers, this is our time. This is our time to pick up that sword and fight for our families. Take a look at the passage that's in your bulletin. This passage from Ephesians chapter 6. And we fathers and mothers, we love how this starts. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I mean, the Bible says it, kids. Obey your parents. You guys listening back there? Obey your parents. Bible says it. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you. You may enjoy long life on the earth, then verse four, fathers, not exasperate your children. I mean it's tough enough to be a kid it's tough enough to figure this world out. Don't, don't make their burden unbearable. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This is our job, Fathers. Ephesians five and five and six Paul'. Is Really laying out this family dynamic that takes place and in Ephesians 5. There's some, some verses that might be a little bit unpopular, but Paul's explaining how this family dynamic is supposed to work. And he says, right, and look, look it up in the Bible, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Ooh. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Sacrifice for her sake. And we could take a look around at the state of the family today and what's going on in this country and why are our families so dysfunctional? You know what the problem is? The problem is these women. They're not submitting to their husbands. That's the problem. Is it? Or is it we men? We're not willing to lead our families. Let's talk about human beings. Forget about men and women. Let's just talk about humans. We don't like to submit and we don't like the burden of leadership either. But men, we have a burden of leadership to carry, and our families are looking to us for our leadership. This is our time to pick up the sword and fight for our families. If we don't, who will? It's up to us dads. Recently, I was reminded of a statistic that I've heard for the past, I don't know, 20 years, a variation of this stat. Uh, This specific stat is about a father's influence within the family Specifically, a father's capacity to lead his family to Christ. Now, these specific numbers are from the Leadership Journal. and says that if a child is from an unbelieving home, family are not Christians, nobody's saved in that household. If a child somehow receives Jesus Christ as Savior, I don't know how. Maybe a friend invites the kid to Bible school or to Sunday school or something. If that child receives Jesus Christ as Savior, there's a 3.5% chance that that child will bring the rest of the family to Jesus If a mom in the family, unbelieving family, if a mom receives Jesus Christ as Savior, she has a 17% chance of bringing the rest of the family to Jesus. But if a dad receives Christ as Savior, there's a 93% chance that he will lead his family to Jesus. I share these stats with you not to diminish the influence of a child or a mother. I share these stats to remind us fathers of the power that we have. Dads, we have a big voice. Dads, we have a loud voice. We have a powerful influence in the lives of our families. Let's use our voices. Let's use our influence for the Lord. Let's lead our families into a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is. But more importantly, dads, let's lead our families into a deeper relationship with Jesus. This is our job. This is our task. This is our battle. If we don't fight for our families, who will? Now, you might be thinking, yes, I have children. Yes, I'm a dad, but my kids are old. They're grown, and they have kids of their own, and it's too late for me. No. No matter how old or how young your children are, you still have a very big, a very loud voice and a powerful influence And if you've messed up over the years with your kids, apologize. Own it. And if you are struggling as a dad, just share it with them. Let your kids know. And dads, most importantly, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I hope and pray that you do, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you make sure that your family knows Jesus as their Savior as well. That's your job. That's your mission. That's your battle. Fathers, our children need us. They need our guidance. They need our support. They need our love. And they need us to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, As we call you by your title, by your name, Father God, we are mindful of the great love that you have for us. We are mindful of the relationship that you desire to have with us. We are reminded of the perfect example that you have set for us, example of love and service and sacrifice. Father God, let us follow in your example And Father, you know better than anybody else that it's not easy to be a dad. There is a unique burden that comes with being a father. And so, Lord, help us carry that burden. And Jesus, I would actually ask that you would carry that burden through us and for us. Let us dads pick up that sword. Let us fight our battles. Let us fight to protect our family. And Father God, we pray that you would enable us fathers to train up our children in the instruction of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.